morning. Welcome all of you this morning. We're glad that you're here to worship with us today. I think spring has finally arrived. Would, would, you, would you agree? I got up and it was nearly 40 degrees. It made me want to say, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it.
Yes, he is. Amen. Let's be seated. This is the beginning of our 40 days of prayer. And I want to begin by making just a couple of observations based on my own experience and my experience as a pastor. Um, the first thing is, I think everybody has a sense that we should pray. Even people who aren't Christians find themselves in situations in life where they almost without thinking about it, turn toward God. And that's because we're wired that way. The scripture in Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has planted eternity in the human heart. God has planted eternity in the human heart. In other words, uh, remember in Genesis, it's, it says that God created us in His image and in His likeness. And that means He wired us to want to be in relationship with Him. We have a desire to know Him and to have a relationship that goes beyond just the years of our life on this earth, but goes with Him on into eternity. And we have a sense that an important part of that relationship is prayer. Now the second observation is this. First, we think we all think we should pray, but the second one is many of us don't feel like we do it very well. I come across a lot of people who feel inadequate in their prayer life. They don't think they pray very well. They don't think they pray very effectively. A lot of people feel very awkward about public prayer doing what Greg just did. If I were to just call someone out and said, would you come up here and offer our prayer this morning? A lot of people would not be comfortable doing that. And I have a, I want to let you in on a little secret. If you feel inadequate or awkward about prayer, you're in good company. Some of the greatest Christians who've ever walked this earth struggle to pray. One that comes to mind is Mother Teresa. We think of her and how she's the epitome of a godly woman in her service to the Lord. But yet she wrote often toward the end of her life about how she struggled to feel the presence of God and struggled to talk to Him in prayer. The Apostle Paul, he struggled to pray. In the book of Romans, in 8.26, he says, we don't even know what we should pray or how we should pray. I mean, this is the man who wrote half the New Testament. The one who, next to Jesus, is considered possibly the greatest Christian that's ever lived. And he said, there are times I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to pray. And then how about the 12 disciples? The men who spent three years with Jesus, day in and day out, who walked with him, who learned from him, who witnessed his miracles, who should have had this tremendous amount of faith. In Luke 11, 1, it says that one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. 
Now, these were men who had been raised in the Jewish faith. These are men who had been praying since they could talk. But when they heard Jesus pray, they knew that there was another dimension, another aspect of prayer that they had missed all their life. And they said, Lord, we want you to teach us to pray. And I hope that as we enter into this 40 days of prayer, that is your request as well. Lord, teach me to pray. But before I go any farther with talking about what prayer is, I want to say a few words about what prayer isn't. What prayer isn't. I think many of our frustrations with prayer come from the fact that we have some misconceptions about what prayer really is. First of all, prayer is not a magic wand. <laughs> I'm thinking of Harry Potter. You know, he has that little crooked stick. And he waves that stick and things change on command. Or I'm thinking about the uh, uh, Aladdin in the lamp with the genie. They're remaking that movie, by the way. Did you know that? They're making a live-action version of Aladdin. But he got that lamp and rubbed it, and the genie came out, and what did he say? Your wish is my command. Well, I've got news for you. Prayer is not a magic wand, and God is not your genie. Prayer is not just a way to get what you want out of God. Prayer is not a fire alarm. You know that thing on the wall that says to pull in case of emergency? I think a lot of people treat prayer that way. As long as life is fine, things are okay, I'm handling everything, I'll need to pray. But the moment things start to go bad, I get sick, I lose my job, my marriage is falling apart, something bad is happening to us and we feel like life is spinning out of control, then all of a sudden it's like pull that alarm, pull that prayer alarm and take it to God. But the reason that's not good is because it treats prayer the last resort when it should be your first choice. Prayer should not be the last thing you do out of desperation because you've tried everything first. Prayer should be the first thing you do so that you don't reach a point of desperation. I mean, just think about some of the language we use. I guess all we can do is pray. Tried everything else. All we can do is pray. Prayer is not a tug of war with God. <laughs> Sometimes we get the idea that God really doesn't want to answer our prayers. And if we want to get something out of him, we have to work at it. So we end up trying to beg bribe or bargain with God to get what we want. Lord, if you'll just answer this prayer and give me what I've asked of you, I'll go to church every Sunday. Every Sunday. 
<laughs> I can just hear the Lord saying, why aren't you going anyway? John 5, 14 and 15 says, we can be confident approaching God, knowing that he listens to us whenever we ask him for anything according to his will. And since we know that he hears us when we make our requests, then we can be sure that he will answer us. God is not sitting up there miserly doling out little bits of his blessings after you've begged him or bribed him or bargained with him to get them. God is ready to throw open the storehouse of his blessing into the lives of those who serve him faithfully, those who honor him, those who have a relationship with him that is based on prayer. Now, when it comes to answering prayer, we're going to talk a little more fully about this, but let me just give you something right now. There are four basic ways that God will answer your prayers. The first answer is the one we all want. Yes. Yes means you've made the right request at the right time. You, you ask God and God says, absolutely. I was just waiting for you to ask. That's exactly what I want to give you. Sometimes, instead of yes, God will say, slow down. And that means you've made the right request, but it's not the right time. I do intend to answer that in a positive way with a yes, but not today. Another answer he might give us is you need to grow up some more. You are not in a place in terms of your faith or in terms of your life that you can fully handle what you have requested. We run into that with our kids, don't we? How many times do our kids come and ask us uh, for things or to do things and our response is, oh, you're not, you're not ready for that. You're not old enough for that. You can't do that yet. Well, sometimes our Heavenly Father has to give us the same answer. Not yet, but give it time. So he might say yes, he might say slow down, he might say grow up. And then there's the fourth one, the answer that none of us ever want to get. No. No. I understand your heart and your mind, and that's what you believe is best for you, but I'm telling you it is not. As your heavenly father, I am denying that request. It's not the right thing, and it's not the right time. Now, just like our children, you know, our children don't take no well, do they? I don't recall my darling daughter Christy here. When she would come all excited and say, can I, can I do this? Can I have this? Can I? And we would say, no. She didn't say, okay, Father, I perfectly understand your reluctance to answer my request at this moment. <laughs> Never. What I got was, why not? 
And then a few other things would happen. <laughs> you know, we don't understand it because we're convinced. We're absolutely convinced that what we've asked in prayer is, is right. And we just have to trust that the one who sees the big picture of life understands better than we do when it's time to grant our request. So now that we know what prayer isn't, it's not a magic wand, it's not a fire alarm, uh, it's not a tug of war, let me just give you three basic principles that need to be the foundation of your prayer life. Uh, there's, a, there's a story about legendary coach Vince Lombardi, coach of the Green Bay Packers. Every year at training camp when he would get all of his players in for the first time, he would sit them all down and he would say, Gentlemen, this is a football. And they would all laugh. These are professional football players. What in the world? This is a football. Of course it's a football. But he was trying to drive home the point that I don't care how long you've played this game. I don't care how well you think you play this game. If you do not understand the most fundamental aspects of this game, you will not succeed. At least not on my team. <laughs> Gentlemen, this is a football. And God is saying the same thing to us. He said, my, my children... This is prayer. And I want you to understand some basic things about it so that our relationship together can grow. Because that's the first principle. God loves you and desires to have a relationship with you. God loves you and desires a relationship with you. If you don't believe that, you will never be any good at prayer. People try to pray out of an adversarial relationship with God. That's that tug of war thing. God, I know you aren't giving me what I want, but I'm not quitting till I get it. That's not what he wants. We are to call him father. He calls us his children. That's the kind of relationship he wants with us. The Bible says if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. And more than anything, he wants us to have a relationship where we can express our love, our gratitude, our devotion to him. There's an older couple that went to a pastor for some marriage counseling. And the woman spoke first and she said, Pastor, I've been married to this man for 40 years. And he never tells me he loves me. And that hurts. So the pastor looked at the husband and said, Sir, is that, is that true? And he said, Look, preacher. You, you always love that when you're there and the finger comes out and you go, Look, preacher. Forty years ago, I told her I loved her when I married her. And I told her if anything changed, I'd let her know. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> You're a brave man. See, they're all over the, the men are going, yeah, yeah, that's right. But you're not supposed to say it out loud, Mike. You're really not supposed to, especially sitting beside Pam there. Um, 
You know, I don't know of too many of us that would be satisfied with that kind of relationship. One where we make our commitment to each other and then we don't have the most fundamental expression of love and affection for the rest of our relationship. But yet, how many people try to do that with God? We confess our faith in him. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. I love you, Lord. I appreciate Christ's death on the cross. I accept your forgiveness. We express all of that to him. And then from that moment on, he doesn't hear from us. Unless we've pulled the fire, pulled the fire alarm of prayer. You know? Um, and I've been there. Trust me. I'm, I'm not just preaching at you. <laughs> I am preaching to me. My prayer life has not always been what it should be. Isaiah 30, 18 says, The Lord waits for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. Did, did you catch that? The Lord waits for you to come to him. Have you ever planned a meeting with somebody and you arrive and you're sitting there and they don't show up? They don't call to tell you they're delayed. They don't tell you something's come up, they can't make it. They just don't show up. And you're left to wonder what happened. Did they just forget? Did they change their mind? And you don't know what to do with that. Well, I'm not sure God does either. God is waiting every single day for us to show up, for us to come to him and, and talk with him in prayer, to tell him the, the desire of our heart, to share our gratitude for his blessings. And he waits. And he waits. And he waits. The second principle is that prayer is about a relationship, not a religious ritual. Too many times we try to turn prayer into a religious ritual. Something that we do out of duty and obligation. I am a Christian, therefore I pray. I think too many of us struggle with prayer because we just make it too hard. Prayer is not hard. If we truly understand it, if we understand that God loves us and wants a relationship with us and that prayer is about that relationship and not a ritual, it's not hard. It's no harder than me talking to you or you talking to someone else. Prayer is simply opening your heart to God. There is no right or wrong way to pray. I think that's where people get hung up. You know, how do I do it? We teach children a posture for prayer. You know that? How, how are you supposed to pray? Hands folded, head bowed. In some traditions, they teach kneeling as well. That's the prayer posture. And you got to get it right. What if I pray kneeling, my hands folded, but I keep my head up? Oh, I've, I've invalidated my prayer. What if I bow my head, I'm on my knees, but I don't fold my hands? 
Invalidated. God ain't listening to that. <laughs> ain't that silly? God doesn't care what position you are in physically. Because if he did, it would limit when you could pray, wouldn't it? You ever tried to pray in the car with your head bowed and your eyes closed? If you're driving, <laughs> bad idea. So I should never pray when I'm driving my car because I cannot assume the proper posture. God doesn't care. If you want to kneel, kneel. If you want to sit, sit. If you want to stand, stand. If you want to take a walk and pray as you walk. If you want to pray as you ride your bike. If you want to pray as you drive your car. He doesn't care. Because it's not about what you're doing with this. It's about what's in your heart and your mind in relationship to him. There is no right or wrong way to do it. There are no rules, restrictions, or regulations you have to follow to pray. There's no special words. Sometimes we get hung up on that. If you, and one reason we don't pray in public is because I don't know all the right words. You know, I got to know the words, the phrases that Christians are supposed to use when they pray. No, you don't. So God loves you and wants a relationship with you. Prayer is about a relationship and not a ritual. And the third principle is that prayer should be sincere and simple. Sincere and simple. Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us come near to God with a sincere heart and a sure faith. You want the requirements for prayer? There they are. A sincere heart and it's your faith. He wants you to believe in him and he wants you to talk to him openly, honestly, sincerely. People struggle with this because sometimes their thoughts toward God are not very good. And if I told God what I really thought, he'd probably send that lightning bolt and just whap me out. No, he won't. He won't. If you are disappointed with God, tell him you're disappointed with him. If you're angry at God, be angry with him. One of my greatest scenes in the Forrest Gump movie is when Lieutenant Dan, you know, he lost both his legs and he struggled mightily to find any purpose or meaning to life. He, as far as he's concerned, he should have died on the battlefield. And, but he didn't. He's just crippled. And at one point, they're out on the shrimp boat. Him and, him and Forrest. And a huge storm has come up. And Lieutenant Dan is up in the crow's nest. You know that little thing that's up on the mast? And he's just railing away at God. He's shaking his fist. He said, you come on. Do it. You know, he's asking, go ahead. Zap me. And he's, he's calling him all kinds of things. And he's just spewing out all kinds of things to God. And in the next scene, it's a calm, beautiful morning. The sun is coming up over the water. And Lieutenant Dan is floating peacefully in the water. And Forrest says, I don't know. But I think Lieutenant Dan made his peace with God that day. And how did he achieve his peace with God? By being sincere and honest. He was angry with him and he told him so. And once he had vented all that stuff that he'd been holding in all those years, God was able to say, are you done now? 
Do you feel better? Yeah. All right, now we can get on with our relationship. You know, during the next six weeks, we're going to learn much about prayer. You may think, well, he's just pretty well told us the whole deal. Oh, I'm just getting started. And at the end of the six weeks, I still won't be done. But I hope we will all, with the disciples, pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Because he will. He most certainly will. Let us pray. God, I am so grateful for your word, which not only teaches us about prayer, but tells us about those who struggled to pray. There were a lot of people that weren't very good prayers in the Bible, but yet you did some amazing things in their life. And Lord, I pray that you help us to move past all these false ideas about prayer, that you help us to be able to learn that you love us. You want a relationship with us. And prayer just flows out of that relationship. And all you really want from us is a sure faith and a sincere heart. Lord, be with us as we go through this time together uh, over the next six weeks as, as we go through the connect groups that we all can learn more about this wonderful experience called prayer. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. When I spoke to the folks at the nursing home, uh, I do a little church service with Don Carmer the first Wednesday of every month. I talked about the blind man who sat on the road to Jericho and Jesus came along. And when he was told that Jesus was coming, he prayed. And his prayer was this, Lord, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And I told the folks at the nursing home the same thing I want to tell you, that that is probably the most simple and most sincere prayer there's ever been. Lord, have mercy on me. Because it is a prayer I guarantee you will always get a yes. Because God's mercy runs deep. His compassion is great. And he will never deny either one to you. And there may be someone here this morning who's ready to take a step of faith and say, you know, I need that relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to have him as my Lord and Savior. Really, what you're praying is, Lord, have mercy on me. Let the blood of Christ forgive my sin and put me in a relationship with you that, as he said in Ecclesiastes, he's put eternity in our hearts. And Christ makes eternity possible. So if you're here this morning and you're ready to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, it would be my privilege to receive you, to welcome you, to pray with you, to lead you in a simple statement of faith that says you believe in Jesus and accept him as your Lord and Savior. We'll arrange for your baptism, and we'll set your feet on the path of that relationship as a follower of Jesus Christ. Let us stand together. 466, 1 and 2. Stand together, please. And I invite you to come as we sing.